Well, good morning. This is an exciting morning for us at Sycamore, Sycamore Hill Church. Um, I'm Dale Robinson. I'm one of the members of the Pastoral Search Committee. I have the privilege of introducing Terry this morning um, as the final candidate for the role of the associate pastor here. Now, Terry preached last week in our, our Wilmington campus, and he'll be preaching here today. And then the church will vote, it's my understanding, next Sunday, in two weeks from now. Okay. So you're going to learn some things today uh, that you never knew about Terry. Uh, I get to share one of them this morning, um, and then I'll leave the rest to Terry when, when he talks a little bit, in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, I have to share just a, a couple personal insights that uh, came out of our process as working as a committee member. Um, just as background, and we've made all the announcements and the letters, but just as a quick background, the committee included uh, Luke Wittenbach um, as our leader, myself, Gina Bino, Chris Whitcomb, Carolina Tia, and Lynette Russell. And the three things that, there were really three things that struck me throughout the process that we started back in March of this year that I think are worth sharing to the, you know, to the congregation at large. First is really how far back our pastors, John and Jeff, took away from the process. They, they really stepped back, and they did so, I think, with a, a, a sound mind in saying we really need the committee to step forward. You know, I'm new to the committee work at church. I haven't, haven't been involved with it in the past, but it became evident that this leadership step back was very intentional, and this was really on the arms and the hands of us as a, as a committee and as a church body to make these decisions and recommendations. Um, secondly, I was really impressed with uh, Luke and how Luke leaned into leading us as a group. He encouraged you know, our complete uninhibited participation while keeping us on task, which is not an easy thing to do. Lastly, and most importantly, everything we did was so prayerfully considered. Um, th- there were very distinct moments that I can say as a group member that we were at a loss and completely depended on God for direction, and it's, he just never let us down. Um, some of you may remember uh, Luke self-admitting how awkward it was to get down on his knees up here in front of all of us and pray for support from you, and I will say that our committee was very blessed with God's intervention at some very critical times and throughout the process. In total, we had over 80 applicants uh, that came from all over the United States. We narrowed it down to 10, then down to 5, and then down to 3, and now Terry is our final candidate. I can confidently say that all the candidates were very wholeheartedly considered. So let me take a moment and tell you a little bit about Terry. Uh, Terry and his wife, Libby, have been married for 19 years. They have four lovely children. Uh, Eli, Eden, Silas, and Mercy. They have been members here at Sycamore Hill Church uh, since 1999 and have served in various roles during their time here, including associate pastor, deacon, youth minister, worship leader, the building committee, the Loma Coffee governance team, a life group leader, and as well as a Bible study leader. Terry holds a master's degree from the biblical... Theological Seminary, and Missional Theology. Now, Terry met or exceeded all of the primary skills that we agreed on as the criteria in the search committee. We also listed some secondary things, and Terry possessed those and was a single candidate that that, that also possessed some of the secondary things that we were looking for. 
As a committee, um, we sat afterwards and we, we decided we, we, what were really the strongest attributes that we saw in Terry that we thought were important to the church. And we came to a list of seven things that just predominantly stood out for us. Number one, his absolute confidence in, in his calling. Um, he, he has a deep desire to help manage the house of God and a complete confidence in his calling. Complete humility, and I think that's something that we can all learn from. We, we, we do various things in our lives, and Terry was just completely humble in his approach and in, in, in applying for this position. Terry is so highly relational across really a broad spectrum of people, from young and old, uh, from various income streams, and just various people. He's just very relational. He's a skilled teacher of the Word. He practices what he preaches. He has a very strong willingness to admit mistakes and learn from his past, which I think we all can learn from. And lastly, he has familiarity with the church. I think, you know, we see an opportunity where he can really hit the ground running and make an instant impact. So if, if approved, he will serve in the areas of discipleship, community group ministry, and worship arts here. Now, I promised you a nugget of insight that no one else knows about Terry, and I'll share that, and I'll let Terry again share the rest. Um, when Terry was in third grade, his, tat, his dad uh, had left a, a job working in an office to become a truck driver to see the world, and it gave Terry an opportunity to spend some time with him, his father-son, and they, they crossed the West Coast together and the East Coast and got it, spent a lot of time uh, together talking. One of the things that he did is he taught Terry how to talk on the CB radio. Now, for those of you that may not know what a CB radio, this predates cell phones, um, and it's a lot cooler because you get to use uh, buzzwords like good buddy and uh, smokies for code words. So I'll let Terry explain that to you at some point. So Terry had to pick a, C, uh, a CB handle in a, in, a, in a rush one time when somebody said, what's your handle? And Terry didn't have one, and he had to come up with an answer very quickly. And in the pressure of the moment, his handle was Windjammer. So it stuck. So if you ever uh, were on the radio and you heard Windjammer, or if you ever hear it in the future, if you're still using your CB radio, it may be, uh, it may be Terry. <laughs> so I'm going to ask Terry to come up and say a prayer um, for this time. Dear Lord, you've been so faithful to us. We are so privileged to be here and serve you as your people. As a church body, Lord, we have sought out an associate pastor, and we, we commit this work to you and everyone present here today. Lord, we pray for Terry, that his words will reach the hearts of those listening, and that his words will give us all an opportunity to grow in your kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, that was just a beautiful introduction. It's, it's um, honoring to have something like that happen in your life, and I'm thankful for it. And I'm especially thankful for the search team who spent a lot of hours on behalf of our church and caring for my family and the other candidates' families in the process. And so thank you for, to everyone. So I am preaching in view of a call. So that's an old Baptist congregational phrase, which simply means that I'm coming before you um, with the desire to serve as one of your pastors. And my intent today is to uh, help you understand how God has reshaped my calling as a pastor. Um, many of you know, and maybe some of you don't, but I was a pastor at this church. 
And um, for the last year and a half or so, I've been back in engineering. And here I am again, um, being called as a pastor. So I, more than anything, I'd, I'd love to help describe that process for you. So in a way, I'm inviting you in maybe to the last year of my life. So this last year has been uh, so good in so many different ways, and yet one of my hardest as a man and someone in their early 40s, just it, it's um, something special and unique happened, and yet it was uh, hard is a good word, except so much was set right because of it. Uh, I'd like to thank Libby, my wife, who I would say I was a little bit needier than I usually am this past year because of what was happening on the inside. Um, our family was at peace, and my job was going great, and yet what was happening on the inside was something um, that I needed to go through. So I would say I, I relied on Libby um, in it, just in a way that I hadn't in the past in our marriage, and she was there for me, so that was great. And um, I relied on my friends, but more than anything else, I, I really drew near to God this last year, and it was a blessing to be pushed there and to walk there and then come back and, and feel closer in the process. So this morning I'd like to invite you in and, and just share with you what happened. And at the same time, I'd like to open up the word together and exhort God's word before you and just share some things that I think he has for all of us. I would say um, as a way into the scripture, one of the thoughts that, that you might relate to is... Um, we came to this church in the 90s, and, and I would just say a lot of what has happened in the life of this church in my life has been gradual and slow, and that's what I've needed to grow as a man and a, as a minister. So it started from the beginning. I met Rick Bino, who used to be a pastor here. We met at a youth conference, and he said, hey, we need a youth minister to come, and this was um, before Libby and I had kids, and I was looking for a place to serve, so we said, sure, we'll come. So I came and we served here, and then um, that began a pattern um, that I've had with the life of this church. So a couple years into that, one of our worship leaders moved out to Ohio, and James Coleman came up and said, we need another worship leader. Would you lead worship? And I was actually nervous about this idea at the time, and I debated in my head, should I be a worship leader? And, and I said yes, and that's been one of the most formative things in my life to have being led worship here for almost 15 years now. And, um, and then in my late 20s, I remember they asked me to serve as a deacon, and I felt too young. And, um, but I accepted that call to serve, even though maybe in some ways I wasn't ready, but, but God gave me that opportunity to serve, and it was a great blessing to serve as a deacon here. And then, um, I guess it was six, seven years ago, I really felt a strong call to full-time vocational ministry. And I was still working that out. I had gone to seminary, and I was arriving a little bit late to that idea in my life. Um, I was in, in my mid-30s at the time. And it was also around that time that Pastor John had become the senior pastor, and the associate at the time, Rick, or he was the senior at the time, he, he left. Um, so I saw, say all that to say that this opening appeared before me to become a full-time pastor for the first time in my life. And I was really excited about it, and I was, again, honored for this opportunity. And I walked through the door and became a pastor. 
So I was a full-time pastor uh, for over five years here. Um, a year into my ministry, we opened Loma Coffee. And um, this, this weekend is the five-year anniversary of Loma Coffee. So it helps me keep track of things in my life. Um, but our church, we own and operate a coffee shop in the city of Wilmington. And that became a forerunner for our campus there. And so many things happened while I was a pastor here that I'm thankful for. But I would say um, that season, though I loved it, it was always this um, response to the opportunity in front of me. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I stepped down and I uh, went back to engineering to, um, because I wanted to and also because I needed space to figure this out. And that's what the Lord did. Um, I've been drawn really to uh, the life of Paul this past year, and um, both his boldness, but also he always understood where his call came from. And there's so many scriptures that point to that. If you'd open your Bible and turn to Second Corinthians chapter four, that's where we'll be this morning in the scriptures. Second Corinthians. Um, so after Acts and Romans, you get into First and Second Corinthians. The letter of 2 Corinthians is Paul just pouring out his soul to the Corinthian church about how he's experienced all this suffering and why he's experienced it and what it means in the life of the church and how they should receive that in a letter and then receive him in person when he comes. But I am looking at, we're looking at this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and as I read it, uh, we're going to talk about this metaphor that Paul describes here. So I'll start in verse 5 of chapter 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I've been meditating upon this um, familiar metaphor that we are jars of clay, and that we have the treasure of God. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm, the more I think about it, the more I meditate upon it, the more amazed I am about this picture that Paul uh, uses to describe himself in the life of the church. Uh, when he says jars of clay there, the literal phrase mean, means earthen vessel. So Paul's saying, I'm an earthen vessel. I am made from the dust of the earth. And he talk, talks about being a, a clay pot, 
Um, clay is an earthly material, we all know that. And it's, it's unique in a, in a bit of the way that it, it's material, um, that uh, it's a very small particle. So soil is made up of um, sand, silt, and clay. And in my other job, sometimes I get in geotech engineering. And, and one of the interesting things about clay is that um, because it has such a small particle, it, it holds together and it's, it can be formed, unlike sand, which, you know, you make a pile of sand and it falls apart. Um, so a pebble of sand you can find in your hand if you isolate it, but a particle of clay would be like a speck on a piece of sand. So it's a really fine material. Um, but because of that, when you put it together and when you isolate it by itself, it, it takes shape and it's formable. And then when you throw it in the oven and glaze it, it, it holds that shape and it holds liquid. And yet all through history, if you have a clay pot and you drop it, you make another one, right? It's, it's not this precious thing in the life of our culture. And um, that's what Paul's saying. He's an earthen vessel. Um, and with that thought, I've really thought a lot about how God has made us this way, and, and yet we're suitable to house the treasure of God. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, my family and I will watch this show called American Pickers, and in the show... Um, Frank and Mike are the two characters. They have a minivan, and they go all across America um, picking over people's uh, collections of precious items. So maybe a guy collects vintage signs, and they're picking through the signs, and then he says, well, I have two more barns full of signs, and they're like, well, show us those. So they pick through, and they pull out the best, and every once in a while on the show, they will find... um, a toy in its original packaging, maybe from the 40s or the 50s. And they're like, wow, it's still in its original packaging. It hasn't even been taken out yet. And I thought just thinking about that picture um, and the idea that we are vessels for God, earthen vessels, I thought about going back to the garden when God first created us from the dust of the earth and how we were suitable at the beginning to have a relationship with God. Uh, but what I find surprising about that is Paul's saying in his broken state, he's still suitable to house the treasure of God. And that's, that's been very helpful for me. Um, so though we are suitable as uh, pots, clay pots, um, don't get too excited about yourself because you're a clay pot, right? And um, we're fragile, Paul starts to work this out after, the, after, after he describes the metaphor. You can just think about your own body. Um, our eyes can see for miles on a clear day, and yet a speck of dust in your eye, just right, it, it immobilizes your sight, and it takes it away. Um, I had a root canal a few years ago, and our jaws are one of the strongest muscles in our body, but if you have a good old root canal, it takes away all your jaw strength while it's being fixed. And um, to me, this, this metaphor captures well the mystery that I feel in life that God would pay attention to me as something that's suitable to house his treasure. And not only that, but there's a great purpose that we hold this treasure. And that's what Paul works out for us. Um, 
So I would say, as, as an earthen vessel, you are suitable, but you're fragile. So hold on to that. But let's talk about the treasure. Paul says we have this treasure. You have to go back. I read it earlier in verse 5. He's, he's in a long kind of argument that you can go back and read later. But essentially what he's talking about is how Jesus Christ has lifted the veil um, in a way that now we can understand, have knowledge about, and experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. Earlier he mentions that um, when Moses' face was veiled after experiencing the glory of God, the people couldn't um, see it. And yet with Christ, everything is different. The veil has been lifted. So look at what he ver- in verse 5 he says, what we're proclaiming is Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, and this is the treasure here, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, he's referencing Genesis 1. He said, like God spoke out of darkness, light, in the same way he has shown light in our hearts to give us the knowledge and the understanding of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And right before that, he said it's veiled to the unbeliever because the enemy of this world has veiled the hearts of, of those with unbelief. But earlier, he, he already mentioned that Jesus Christ is the only one that can lift this veil. So what he's saying is Jesus Christ has lifted this veil in our hearts. We have this treasure. Um, in other places, he talks about the, the great mystery is that we have Christ in us, our hope of glory. But look at the next few words in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And the whole purpose of us living out this metaphor is to show that it's God's power and not ours. The word surpassing there is actually the word hyperbole. So the word hyperbole, exaggeration, comes from a Greek word. And that's the word. So God's power belongs to him. And when he places his treasure in our heart and we live as vessels in um, the beauty of all that, we get to show God's power and not ours. It's the, in the metaphor, it becomes obvious because when you look at even Paul, even Paul elsewhere in Corinthians, he got criticized because someone with God experiencing that much suffering, it, it came into question if God was really on his side. And, and he's saying, no, this is exactly what's happening. We do have this treasure. We haven't hid the gospel from you at all. Um, and the whole reason that God's placed it in us like this is to reveal his power and not ours. And then he works it out. Look at the next verse, verse 8. If you're taking notes, I would draw a line on the paper, and then I would put um, the things that Paul feels on one side of the line and the things that he's not on the other, because he creates this really nice distinction for us in the everyday life. So on the one hand... um, Paul, as a follower of Christ, was afflicted 
He was perplexed. He was persecuted and struck down. But he was not crushed or driven to despair or forsaken or destroyed. And he's creating, I think he's, I think he's working out the metaphor for us, saying this is what it has looked like in my life. Uh, a few chapters later in chapter 7, he says, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted on every side at every turn. There was fighting without and fear within. Even within the church, they were struggling with fear. And maybe even in their own hearts on how this was being worked out. The words persecuted and struck down, they carry with them the idea that they were being hunted. So to, being, to be persecuted is to be, be hunted down. To be struck down is, is actually to be taken out with an arrow um, and laying on the ground about ready for the final blow. I mean, that's what Paul's saying. That's where we, where we are with this gospel. The word perplexed in particular has been helpful for me this past year. That's where I'd like to invite you in again to my story. Um, the word perplexed there, it means at a loss for your way. And that's a good, a good way to describe some things that I've experienced. Um, maybe on a certain day, I was being driven toward despair, but I was never in despair. Um, so it was really helpful So I left pastoring last summer, two summers ago, so almost a year and a half ago now. And when I left, um, I had almost immediately, the Lord did some amazing things that I I still find indescribable in my own life. But when I gave up pastoring, he very quickly um, and very clearly re-identified it for me, like last fall, a year ago. So I sat down with Pastor John and Pastor Jeff, and I said, I know this is strange, but God, I believe, is calling me to be a pastor again. And they both had great advice. Uh, pastor Jeff, I said last week in Wilmington, you know, he just said, you know, more than I want you to be a pastor again, I think that would be great, but I just want you to find your way. And, and that was a helpful thought. And then John had a good thought. He said, um, it's kind of the same thing. Like, I could definitely see you being a pastor again. I don't know. I don't know, but, um, but this is where you are. So he gave me a picture that was really helpful. He said, you're on a highway. Maybe you did miss your exit. And you can either um, you know, take a quick turn through the median and come back and get back on track. Um, but that's going to create maybe some turmoil that isn't necessary. Um, or you can do the work to go to the next exit and get off. And if God wants you to come back, we'll have time for that. So that was helpful, and it changed my perspective. It really, more than I thought about getting my job back, the question is, is God calling me to be a pastor here to this congregation? And if so, um, I'm more than a willing candidate. So that, that enabled me to become one of the other 80 candidates. And I always had unique circumstances, and, and I was always thoughtful about that with the uh, church. But, but God, in his... Um, way brought me back. I'll just give you a small example of my perplexity, and I think it's helpful. So this would be just a slice 
of my last year. It doesn't um, describe the whole thing, but I think it's a good example of the perplexity that I felt. So um, I really spent a lot of time in the book of James, drawing near to God. And James 4, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourself before the Lord. And I spent a lot of time doing that. I would take um, about every couple months, I would take an afternoon off from work. And I would, um, a friend of mine who's also a mentor, he has a cabin in the woods. And I like that sort of thing. So I would spend a couple hours just praying with him and listening to what God was showing me. And then I would spend time with God. So in that season, as I worked through my perplexity, um, it was just normal stuff is what I would describe it as. But I did identify this interesting thing. I had, through that, through that season in my life, I had been saying a lie in my head that I didn't really recognize the weight of it. But in my head, I, I would say, you're such a loser in my head just during this season in my life. And, you know, so I would be frustrated with whatever, you know, and I'd, in my mind, you know, how you think you're to yourself, which is a dangerous thing to do. You think to yourself, oh, I'm such a loser. And the way I would describe it was I was cognitive of the thought, but I was, um, I was minimizing the weight of the thought. So this time in the cabin and drawing near to God, I was able to isolate that lie and then get below it and understand how I had maybe put it together. And it wasn't anything... Um, it wasn't anything super dark, but it was just like these little things that I had placed on myself when it came to work and performance. And I can talk about that at some time when we have lunch together. But um, all that to say, there was this lie that I had built that I was believing, and the enemy was using that um, in my perplexity. But when I got to the bottom and found the treasure, um, God really helped me rebuild my identity and as a pastor from there. So... In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about anyone who desires the office of overseer, um, he aspires to a noble task. Uh, Therefore, he must be above reproach and oversee his family well so he can oversee um, the church well and have a good standing in the community and be slow to anger and all these things um, that are really character-based callings. But I was able to rebuild from there. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says a lot of the same things that Paul does. And he says, um, shepherd the flock that is among you eagerly and willingly, not domineering uh, your lordship over them, but in a way that leads by example. And that's been another helpful text for me. So I say all that to say that um, we as vessels experience perplexity. That's what we're supposed to experience. At times we're supposed to be afflicted, maybe even struck down in our bodies. Um, But we're not forsaken. And that's what I would say to all of you, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord. Um, You know, a starting point is the treasure. You know, are you able to understand the treasure that you have as a vessel and and really accept the fact that it's going to be housed in you as a suitable vessel, but yet is fragile? And, and accepting that, I think, is, is a big part of the, the Christian life. And then working it out uh, in, this, in the land of the living when 
we are, we're all afflicted. I love the way that Paul works it out at the end, and we'll close with this thought in verse 10. This has been very helpful for me in verse 10. I really didn't understand it until I worked it out uh, with the metaphor in mind. He says about his life, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The word there, carrying around the body, the death, is almost, it, it, it could almost be stated, we're, we're carrying around the dying of Jesus so that his life might be manifest. And I think it's another way that he's working out this metaphor. As earthen vessels, we are just like Christ was an earthen vessel. We are following in his way. Even Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, Christ is our image of um, the suffering servant and the one who humbled himself. And in God's way, that is the Christian life. That we as vessels, I don't think this is the way that we like to think about it, but this is, I think, the way of God. That we as vessels are being poured out unto death. Um, through life. And certainly we should pray for healing. James chapter 5 talks about that. Certainly we should um, seek wholeness in our life. And we don't have to live a defeated life, right? But at the same time, we should not minimize our ability to um, live out that metaphor as an earthen pot for the whole reason to show that the power of God is not ours, but it's God's, and, and we're showing it off. So I'm thankful that God helped me find my way this past year. And I, I know that a lot of what he did was more for me than anything else as I move forward. And um, if there's something that you would still like to hear more about, I'm available for the next two weeks. I'll give you my cell phone and and we can chat about what God has done. And I'd love to continue to respond to that. But I would say I'm really excited with what's ahead for our church. Even the idea that we would draw into deeper community um, with this metaphor in mind. That the, the community that I have in mind for us, I think, I think we're already experiencing it in many ways. But I think holistically we can experience a community that really is only available to us because of the gospel. So we all know, we all have our clubs, right, that we belong to. And they're, they're helpful because of the affinity that we have. But this isn't a club. This is um, something that we are bound together in community because of the gospel. And I think this metaphor helps us work that out together. John Chrysostom was an early church father. He said, we are shown every day dying that we may also be seen every day rising again. And if you're a quote person and you like quotes, I think that's a good one. We are shown every day dying that we may also be seen every day rising again. And this has been helpful for me because I think it's a way to apply what Paul's talking about. So don't underestimate the treasure that you have as an earthen vessel. If you can say Jesus is Lord, then I think you understand the treasure. 
if, if you struggle saying Jesus is Lord, then maybe you need to think about the treasure and think about accepting it fully in your life. Um, but once you have, I think it's an opportunity for us. I worked it out a little bit. I thought, how can we work it out in our lives? Um, one of the things that I hear a lot about is just the basic the, the idea that, okay, when one of your parents or siblings is observing you and they see the perplexity that you're facing in life or the affliction and, that, and yet you're, you're not driven to despair and they can't quite understand because they don't have the fullness of God in their life. They can't work it out. So it, it drives them uh, forward to God. Or maybe you're at work and it's getting heated. There's, there's a deadline. You're around the table and, and you get short and quick with each other and anger starts to show up. And I think the enemy would wanna, want us to think, well, we're just like everyone else in that setting. But no, we have the treasure for the very purpose of showing that it's the power of God at work in our lives. Um, or maybe, this is one I think we all struggle with. Your life just feels very ordinary. And you go through your ordinary day and you think every conversation that you're going to have is an ordinary conversation. That could be a lie that you're believing for whatever reason. Maybe you're minimizing the treasure that you have or its power. Or you're in school, the kids are being mean, and you have to respond. And, and you've just awakened to this treasure in your life. It's a great opportunity to um, remind yourself that you're a vessel, and that's how you should respond as a vessel. But as a vessel with a treasure and a willingness to talk about the power of God. That's what Paul says at the end here. He says, death is at work in us, but life in you. And he goes on in verse 15. The whole reason that this is happening is that grace may extend to more and more people so that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's, that's why we are earthen vessels. So I'd like to invite the worship team up and pray for us. We're going to close with a song that was even written around this text. And um, I'll pray for us as we come, and then I'll read these closing verses. Father, we come before you this morning um, asking for your continued power at work in our lives. God, thank you for this image that Paul gave us about his life, about how he was uh, chased down for the gospel, and yet he was never forsaken by you. And God, we experience it differently in our day, and yet the story is the same. God, you desire for more and more people to see your power at work in us. So what I ask, God, is that that would happen in each one of our lives, even today, even this week, Lord, that your power would be visible and that we would have the freedom to acknowledge that it's not from us. It's, it's nothing that we have conjured up on our own, but it's something that, that you've given us. You've given us this treasure to hold on to in our earthen vessels. So, Lord, may we remain open-handed with that in the way that we allow your treasure to um, trickle out of our lives. We love you, God.
So this is how Paul finished this thought. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. You can stand.